Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Abbotsford, it was kind of a neat deal. There was a, um, it was actually a missionary couple that had come back. And there, in Abbotsford, there are um, large, there's a large population of Indo-Canadians. So um, uh, from India, primarily out of like the Sikh region, it's kind of like the northern region of India. And they, a lot of them had immigrated over kind of like within this last generation or so um, and had settled in Abbotsford. So you have massive uh, like communities, whole populations of towns of Indo-Canadians, of Sikh Indians, um, so much good Indian food in that town. It was fantastic. Um, but this, this missionary couple had kind of a neat idea um, because they, they tend to kind of all live sort of like just kind of like in, in a kind of in a, in a section of town kind of by themselves. And um, but housing was expensive. Now it's ridiculous, um, but it was expensive. But what they did is they, they got together with several other uh, families and they bought a big massive place right in the heart of one of these communities just to be there and to be presence and, and, and to develop relationship and friendships and ministry through that. And so they bought this kind of massive multi-family house and there were about four or five couples and they kind of managed it and some of them were like these young couples. And anyways, I was over there one, uh, one time for supper. I don't even know why or who invited me or what was going on. But one of, there was the, this young couple, and this guy had, uh, he was at the other end of the table, and he just kind of had all kinds of just what I would call crazy ideas. And at the time, like I'm listening to it, and I'm like, well, that doesn't feel right, and that doesn't feel right. And like looking back, now I would say like he had just embraced just a lot of kind of like progressive Christianity stuff that, that I would, I mean, now I could talk about better. Uh, but then it just seemed kind of odd. But I remember at one point he says, um, well, you know, God has taken the side of the poor, and so now, you know, it's just our decision on whether or not we're going to join with God in siding with the poor, because God has sided with the poor and is against the rich, right? Just kind of blanket ultimate statement. I remember thinking, well, like, what does my checking account have to get to before God favors me? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, at what, like, what magic number do I shift from, like, rich to poor, and now I'm on God's side, like that, and even by at that point, right, like I had traveled enough to see poverty, I know some of you have have seen poverty, I know some of you have been to Haiti, like, like it's rough, you know, I mean, just at the global level, some of the poverty that some people experience, Um, one article I found online said that the average um, household income for a family at the global level is $2,100, per year, right? At the global level, the average family will make $2,100 in a year or um, $175 a month, okay? Now, in the U.S., in Canada, in much of Europe, right, like the average income is significantly higher than that. So what, I mean, if that's the average, like how low do you have to go before your income, whatever that is, and someone else's income are going to average out at $2,100 per year, right? I can go home 
and drink water from my tap. And, and like, all I want, right? Like, I can just let it run all day long, and I have fresh drinking water. In fact, I have so much drinkable water. Are you ready for this? I can feed dogs and water my lawn. Like, that's how much fresh water I have. I literally just throw it in the grass. That's how much fresh water is available to me. Mark Center, where we would do our training, they had so many returning missionaries coming back that they, had, they put up little signs, like by the sink, tap water is drinkable. Right? Because that's such an unusual, you can drink the tap water. Um, I can, like, just hang with me here, but I can flush the toilet paper down, down the toilet. Like, I don't know if you've traveled a lot to, like, South American countries, but, like, that's not really a thing. Like, a lot of the bathrooms will have a garbage can because if you, like, the pipes can't handle the toilet paper, so you always throw the toilet paper away. And it was funny because trekkers who grew up, like, in the States and in Canada would be gone for, like, three months, seven months, and they'd come back, you know, and they'd be in the bathroom, like, why is the trash can so far away? And then, what am I doing? Right? Like... Just the fact that you and I can flush toilet paper is pretty awesome. Um, I have a warm, dry house that is gargantuan by international standards. I can literally, I can literally eat food whenever I want. Like, whenever I want. And in fact, if I run out, we have these, like, massive warehouses jam-packed. I go there, I take whatever I want... I give the lady a piece of plastic, she gives it back to me, and then I go home to eating whatever I want, whenever I want. Right? Like, I mean, it's just in, I have two cars and they both run. Like, I'm so filthy rich by international standards. And thermostats, like, let's not even get into, like, thermostats, okay? It is ludicrous how much money I have compared to the rest of the world. So... If God has, is on the side of the poor and is against the wealthy, then like no one in America stands a chance. Scripture today, we're going through the book of Luke, okay? Just working our way through it. I'm in Luke chapter 6. We're in Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Let me read this section to you. Uh, and I'm going to read up to 26. Uh, So this is Jesus. Uh, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon uh, who came to hear him to be healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes Uh, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is greater in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets." 
In Matthew's gospel, he records a similar event that we have nicknamed the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Now, and it's very famous and and really popular, Matthew carves out more space for it. He gives it three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, the, The scholars that I read all think that Luke is recording the same event. It's just his version of it. There are a couple differences. Matthew says that he went up on a mountain. Um, Luke says that he was on a plane. And at first it would seem like, well, that's contradictory unless you understand the terrain where they had massive plateaus, right? So you could literally go up a mountain and still be on a flat plane to, you, to do your teaching and, and that kind of thing. Um, also, Luke does not allocate as much space to, to this sermon, Um, Which is not, I mean, we've got four accounts on the life of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them kind of um, tweak or emphasize different aspects of the ministry of Jesus, depending on who their audience is and and kind of ideas that that they felt compelled to to convey. Uh, Luke records four beatitudes and four woes. I think Matthew records eight. Um, A beatitude is a blessing, right? Like one dictionary called it supreme blessedness, and a woe is just, you know, like your life is really horrible, or it's about to get really horrible, or just a cautionary warning, things are going to get really bad for you really soon. And in Luke's account, there's kind of this pairing or this partnering between the, the, the beatitudes or the blessings and the woes, right? He talks about poor and rich, hungry and full, weeping and laughing, and then the last one is really kind of like around reputation or how people speak of you, whether it's good or bad or that kind of thing. So arguably, this is a really hard passage of Scripture, right? Like, what do you do with, with hard verses like this? Because if you take it in isolation, for you to be a good Christian, like, you need to be poor, and you need to be hungry, and you need to be sad, and everyone needs to think you're trash. So, you know, and some people leave that. Like, some people go, go down that, right? And, and so they just, you know, unless... Life is awful and God doesn't love me and I'm not a good Christian, right? Like some people kind of go down that, that vein of, of belief. How do you handle hard passages of Scripture? Because there are some hard passages of Scripture, right? Like we have the Beatitudes and the Woes, that's hard. And then you have like Jesus making comments about like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And there's a whole topic of heaven and hell and submission. And we've got predictions of like giant seven-headed monsters coming out of the sea and like what do you do with the parts where you're like well that's odd the first mistake is that some people will approach difficult passages and they'll kind of assume sort of this editor-in-chief role where they will just go with what's real or what's not real based on like their view of the world or what makes sense to them right and they appeal to common sense Well, even at a human level, that doesn't work, right? Because common sense changes a lot between, say, I don't know, ages 6 and 80, right? Like what grandma and grandpa consider common sense versus what your toddler considers common sense. Like, that's a pretty big difference. And then you extrapolate that between humanity and God when God says, as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, right? Like, even the smartest amongst us, what we would consider common sense, isn't even going to come close to what God considers common sense. So the whole common sense argument doesn't really work. Like, it, it, it fails pretty quick. Now, some people will say, well, you need to look at the cultural context and what's happening. 
Yes and no. That can be valuable. Um, we like to do that. We'll look at that, that sum. That can take us to a deeper place. But some people will use that then to almost give you either an alternative or, or just dismiss it right away. Or they'll have like this condescending attitude to be like, well, you know, I looked at the culture and, you know, how could they know better? And they lived 2,000 years ago and we're so smart and we're so advanced. And so I think they were just ignorant because they didn't know about X, Y, Z. And so they were ignorant and I'm right. And, and so they approached the hard passages like that. But here's the best way on the difficult passages is that whenever possible, sometimes it doesn't work, but whenever possible, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Um, and like I said, sometimes it, it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the, the stuff is just, Scripture is just kind of quiet on it, right? Like, what exactly were the Nephilim and how is that relevant? You know, like, we're going to have to unpack that one in heaven, right? But, but sometimes we find other verses, we find other passages, we, we find other stories, and it helps us understand it, or it gives us, like, boundaries and framework to, to, to figure out what, what that means. Sometimes, not always, sometimes getting into the, the original language just takes us into a deeper place of understanding. Um, like you've probably heard the, the whole discussion around the word love, right? I mean, there's, in English we have one word, love, but um, the Greek actually has three different words for love, and they're all different, you know? And so sometimes that can help us out a little bit. Luke 6, uh, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, by itself, it's extreme. It calls us to extreme things, and part of that's good. But there are other passages of Scripture to help us understand this a little bit better and give it some framework. For starters, I would say that I think there's, there's two layers to this. The first is to say to those who are hurting and those who are broken and those who are hungry that things will get better. And to hang in there. And that there will come a blessing as a result of this. Another passage of scripture. Uh, Later on, Gospel of Luke. Jesus tells a story about a rich man and a poor man. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in his manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So first of all, I mean, other passages give us parameters on salvation, right? So this is not just to remember that. But in this story, we see this almost like this upside-down kingdom, which is such a great phrase, this upside-down kingdom, right? Where the person who we thought was rich was actually poor in the things that mattered. And the person who we thought was poor, at least in earth they looked poor, but we find out in the things that mattered was actually very rich, right? When Jesus first shared these beatitudes, much of his audience was poor. They were living day to day, just hand to mouth. They lived under this this Roman government that would 
publicly execute people almost on a whim. I mean, like justice, like you and I know it, was not really a, a thing. And even right now, right, like much of the church, other brothers and sisters in Christ, live in very difficult circumstances all around the world. They may be poor. They may, it may be an oppressive government. Maybe just the local society hates them. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were grieving and mourning and praying for Christians stuck in Afghanistan. Now we're, you know, grieving, you know, people caught in the war in Ukraine. I mean, there's just always something going on. Uh, found this. It is sad to say that there are currently ongoing wars or minor conflicts in around three dozen countries, most of them in the Middle East, Northwest Asia, Sub-Sahara Africa, and a major ongoing drug war in Mexico. Wikipedia lists around 40 ongoing wars and conflicts, and they kind of broke them up into major, minor, and then skirmishes. The major wars, I think those had annual fatalities of 10,000 or more. There were five of them. One of them's in Myanmar, and it said the start date was 1948. So, according to Wikipedia, whatever your views on Wikipedia, Myanmar has had a 74-year ongoing major conflict with over 10,000 fatalities last year. There is another section on Wikipedia. Armed conflict-related fatalities by country. So who had the most fatalities because of war? Um, In 2021, the winner was Afghanistan at 42,223 deaths. And these are just obviously the ones that someone knew about and could report to Wikipedia. Uh, Second place was Yemen at 31,048. Third place was Ethiopia at 22,800. The group Open Doors USA figures that 360 million Christians, so that's pretty much the population of the U.S., maybe a little bit more, um, last year lived in countries where persecution was significant. They apparently have definition on that. Um, Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered, more than 6,000 were detained, 4,000 plus were kidnapped, and more than 5,000 buildings were, were destroyed. So you gather an audience like that, And what do you tell them to give them hope? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. I don't, I remember the story, I don't exactly remember who shared it. And I'm not entirely, there's a lot of parts of the there's like one part of the story I remember very clearly. I think it was Sonia, I think it was on coming back from Egypt. Um, it was somewhere in the Middle East. They had visited a, uh, a, a trash dump, a, a landfill, the, the, the place where they, they get rid of the garbage. And I don't know, and she had chatted with a young boy there, right? Like, I think less than 10. Um, and I don't know if it was whole families or if it was just the kids, and they would pick through the trash, and then they would look for stuff to sell or recycle. And, in the, and they, they would have donkeys that would, like, bring in the garbage and dump it and then go out. And this little boy 
told this, this, this young gal, sometimes I envy the donkeys and I wish I was a donkey because they get to leave and go out and come back in and go out. What do you tell a young boy who's envying the donkeys because they get to leave the trash pile? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, I do want to add kind of one part onto this. I think it's important to note, you know, in the last one, Jesus says, you know, blessed are you when men hate you and all this other stuff on account of the Son of Man. Um, Some people suffer because they've just done really dumb things, okay? Like, there's nothing honorable or good about it, and and I don't think that they would necessarily be included in this, right? Like, Scripture doesn't really give us this, this blanket statement that poverty is a blessing, we are to help the poor. We are, are to help draw them out of poverty. Proverbs is full of exhortations on working hard and earning a good income. And Proverbs frowns heavily upon laziness, which leads to poverty and that kind of thing, right? But there are, there are cases where people suffer for their faith or, the, or they, just, they just suffer because of the, 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 the sins of others. And, and God is telling those who, who love him or, or are suffering because of him, like, you know, Blessed are you who are poor, for your reward is great. So, just kind of needed to add that on there, too. So, we've got that first layer that's the blessings. But then we've got the second layer that are the woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And again, like this is, can be a hard po- passage, and if you take it in isolation, then pretty much all of you are sunk because you're all rich, and I'm pretty sure most of you had breakfast, and I saw some of you smiling earlier today. So, like you're all in trouble. But again, I think there are other passages of Scripture that, that help us understand this. Um, earlier this week, Joe um, pointed out Colossians 3, which, which I, I think is actually a great exposition on understanding this. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, okay, so that's Christians, believers, okay, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, was earthly in you. Then he gives a whole bunch of examples and carries on. Great passage. Um, 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes, the pride of possessions. It is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. James 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Luke 6, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You are residents of earth, but you are citizens of heaven. And everything you should do should have that in mind. Residents of earth, citizens of heaven, right? When I read these passages together, I see warning and admonition to put, to, to put our purpose and our fulfillment in God and God's agenda and, and heaven and what waits for us there. If your contentment is in earthly wealth, woe to you. That's as good as it's going to get. If your contentment is in food, woe to you. If your contentment is being socially accepted, woe to you. You should never feel like totally at home here on earth. There should should always be a part of you that just kind of feels out of sorts, unsettled, like you're still still waiting for something, right? Until I die, I am a nomad for Jesus because this world is not my home. Just, I mean, maybe I'd be here 50 years, maybe five years, whatever, but it's nomad for Jesus because no place here on earth is my home. Luke 16, 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that, when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Kind of an interesting verse. Here's how I take that. Because when I couple this with the Beatitudes, I see this affirmation to use resources entrusted into my care for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. Right? And if I do that strategically, using earthly wealth to, to, to what, how does it say, to make friends, then welcome into an eternal dwelling with celebration. So is it my money? Or am I just like bookkeeper slash accountant for some of God's money? Because those are two totally different worldviews. Is this my money? Or am I accountant, bookkeeper for some of God's money? The Beatitudes and the woes said by Jesus, whether you look at the ones in Luke or Matthew, they're true, they're good, they're relevant, they're wiser than you and I are. But we also know that if certain words are taken in isolation without other words, to give some understanding and and framework and explanation and fuller picture that it can lead to misguided living or even wrong teaching. So whenever possible, we always want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Our world is full of brokenness and despair, and so Jesus gives words of comfort. And for those who suffer for the name of Jesus, there will be a reward. I mean, we should still strive to help them, But there is a reward that waits them. And our world has people who will give their whole life to find temporary comfort or fulfillment or contentment 
in, in earthly things when Jesus is calling us to live for something bigger and to live with the, this heavenly perspective. Last verse that I think sums all this up so well. Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that Scripture can interpret Scripture. And Lord, even parts that are hard um, to understand or maybe don't make sense or seem like they're calling us to, to something extreme or, or beyond what we have capacity, we thank you that, that there are other verses to help us unpack that. And Lord, we want to live the fullness of what it means to be a Jesus-loving disciple who makes disciples. And so we thank you for these words that can speak to nations and generations and are applicable all throughout the centuries, Lord. And we thank you for how they apply to us here today and in Henderson. We worship you and we love you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.